Today on the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast, Sam chats with the wonderful Amy Big Subis. Amy is a generally registered psychologist who works alongside her two superstar therapy dogs, Harvey and Lola. In this episode, Sam and Amy dive into what their therapy dogs do in sessions with their clients and the unique and special ways in which they help others. This is a good one, so take a breath, settle in, and enjoy the podcast. So today we have with us the wonderful Miss Amy, who is Amy Big Subis. She is a generally registered psychologist. She works at a school and works with her two beautiful therapy dogs, Harvey and Lola. Amy has worked for me for a long time, a very long time. Uh, And she was at my private practice, poor, for like six years or something like that um, and has recently moved on and is getting into schools and doing that kind of fun stuff. But she also helps us out and has for a long time, helps us out at Therapy Dogs Australia with um, some handler training and professional development workshopping and things like that. Don't you, Amy? I do. (laughs) Yes, I've been with Paul for a long time and with TDA for quite a long time. So I always pop back up every now and then and people seem to recognize my face sometimes. (laughs) Excellent. So um, your experience is broadening even more now that you're in schools and things like that. So what we're going to chat about today is one of the topics that everybody is interested in, which is, or a lot of people that contact us are interested in, which is, so what do the dogs do? Like, how do they, what do they do? What's the point of the dogs? It's a question we get asked all the time. And we do address that. We do interventions training in our courses, in our we have a version of it in our community course, but in our clinical course, we spend a fair bit of time on it. Um, but we're going to talk to Amy today about um, some of the things and activities and stuff that we've come across in our time. So, Amy, how long have you been animal-assisted therapy-ing? <laughs> mm. um, so I originally started the therapy dog Australia training in 2016 Um, and that was quite a long time ago I actually did your inaugural course the first one that you guys ever ran Um, and at the time I was using my mum's dog Lulu who was a little caboodle Um, and I wasn't even a I wasn't even a prob psych then I was still a student at uni in my third year um, of psychology and I signed up I had met you Sam and was um, doing a little bit of admin stuff at poor and um, thought it would be really cool to be able to take Lulu in and start that journey knowing I was going to be doing my supervised practice pathway shortly that year after um, so I did did the course with my mum's dog um, and then since then I've um, I no longer use my mum's dog because after a couple of years I was able to get Harvey my golden retriever um, who is now four um, and he, he and I then did um, the training together after he was, um, you know, 12 months old, did some of that training together. And then I added in um, a second dog, as we all know you need um, when you're working full time 
in this industry. So then I got uh, Lola as my other therapy dog. So what's that? Is that like six years now then? Yeah, most of my time be as being a psychologist has been as an animal assisted therapist. So we, throughout my provisional stuff. Were we co-facilitating kids groups back then? Yeah, way, way back when I was a third year uni student, I <laughs> um, bullied Sam into letting me come and sit in on some of her kids groups that she run. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, we were doing some of that and I was able, after I did that training with Lulu, I was able to bring, um, bring Lulu into those groups as well. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Casting my mind right back. So we have done with the dogs. So private practice, mostly kids and teens, some young adults, um, a range of presentations but a lot of neurodivergent populations so a lot of ASD ADHD as well particularly when we moved into like the NDIS when that come about as well we probably saw quite a quite a bit of our caseload becoming ASD and ASD plus so kids groups we've facilitated kids groups with the dogs before as well i know that we've been into school so you and i went into schools and ran groups in schools as well we did yes we went and did we've done remember that assembly that we went to that school assembly <laughs> we did we were presenting on um was it are you okay, are you okay your okay mental day? health awareness yeah. there you go and we went into the local school and we took your dogs yeah. oliver and sunny and yeah they had a ball yeah. in the assembly i just let them run around the assembly hall <laughs> they loved it you did it was great yeah. <laughs> everyone loved it it was fantastic so um we did all that now we've done now you're in a school working in a school so what's your role in the school now um so my official role is college psychologist so I'm in an independent school in Brisbane and I'm working um, I do three days in their primary school um so Peter year six and then two days in their secondary school um year seven to twelve um, so my job, I'm the only psychologist working down in the primary school. Um, and then I job share up in the secondary school with another one of my colleagues, which is great. Um, so my job is very broad. I do lots of fun and exciting things. Um, I run individual kind of counseling sessions. We just do short term intervention before we, we need to, um, refer out to other, um, psychologists. Um, I do kids groups down in the primary school and we also do um, groups, wellness groups up in the secondary school. Um, I do professional development for the teaching staff. Um, I do, we've put together like a, a resources page of things that were, um, you know, helpful resources for families. Um, I do interventions in the classroom, go into classrooms, um, mostly down in the primary school um, and do whole grade workshops of various things that are coming up for that grade or that year level. Um, so do lots of observations, lots of just being with people. I get to go on school camps, which has been really exciting oh, and got to know. What? Yeah, I know. I went um, I went to Tangaluma. It was like a holiday recently. It's like a four-day holiday. With um, what grade? Year six. Oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, that was, 
it was fantastic. Couldn't take the dogs, unfortunately, that's but um, that's a fun yeah. age. No, it was. Yeah, no, it was really good. Oh, that's so, fun. Yeah, I, I have lots of school. meetings. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm yep. gonna come and no, go it, to school it's great. camps. It's really fun. Really good. <sighs> I wanna. Um, yep. I wanna go on a school brumby camp. Do they have those? I don't think they have those. Okay. I'm gonna have to resign. You could start one. <laughs> yes. Start a school. It's a Brumby camp. <laughs> okay. So you do everything. So that's cool. Are you busy? I'm very busy. <laughs> very busy. If my school could get a couple more psychologists, that would be fantastic. It sounds like flipping um, awesome initiatives though. Fantastic. Sorry, I was talking over you. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. A lot of that stuff I've introduced this year, me and that my colleague have been um, very fortunate to have a lot of um, support from the school in developing their mental health space and the psychology space. So they've really given us a lot of resources and we've been able to grow it a lot more this year um, than what it was, which is great. So the dogs weren't in there straight away. So like like you started this job part-time last year and I remember that the dogs weren't in there straight away. So what happened there? So when I first applied for that job, um, and I gave I you a fantastic reference. <laughs> you did, you did, yes. Um, it was just a three-day-a-week in the primary school. And at the time, they um, were interested in the dogs and wanting to know more about how that could work at the school because they hadn't had a therapy dog at the school before. Um, but then they, we kind of just decided to start off with, given it was my first time in the school as well and it was part-time that would just do a bit of a soft entry and then um, put it on the table for 2022. Um, so that that rolled around. I was lucky. I was still working at Poor at that time, so I still had was working with therapy dogs, and that was actually a really big jump. Working into in a school setting was entirely different, but not having the dogs as well was also really really different because um, I like I'd never not worked with a dog before. I remember um, that you came to work at Poor and forgot your dog because I did. <laughs> One of my least. <laughs> favorite times to remember it was because I'd gotten in the habit of some days I had to like drive to this location with a dog and some days to this location (laughs) without a dog and I just got in the car I'd like moved house and I got in the car and I drove I'd got all the way to the car park at Redcliffe and I was like oh "Oh, my goodness I have forgotten my dog dog at home how have I done this (laughs) Nala was like where's Lola yeah um yeah Lola was at home (laughs) I just went camping yesterday like just the last night um, and I stopped at uh, Kenilworth um, to go to the shop. And as I got out of the car, I was like, where's the dog? And then I was like, oh, no, I didn't bring a dog because there's no dogs allowed at this campsite. But it's that autumn, like I'm so used to having a dog in the car. It just is this funny feeling like when I, I'm not constantly like where's the dog you know you hear those horrible stories of people accidentally leaving dogs you know there's been a couple of guide dogs and stuff that have been left in cars and they unfortunately do Mm -hmm. not survive that um that's like a thing for me that I'm like very aware that I'm not accidentally leaving a dog somewhere but it's funny how you get that like automatic thing but it can go one way or the other yeah yeah, I think I was just juggling a lot at that time and we just moved house and I just... Yeah, your routine's didn't know out. What it wasn't where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, dogs are also so quiet in the car. Like yeah. As soon as I pop them in the car, because they've been used to doing it since they were little. So they just, as soon as you put them in the car, they're in the back and they're just asleep. That 
I didn't even notice they won't they don't pop their heads up often or anything so I can't remember what I was doing the other day this is like two weeks ago I can't remember what I was doing in the morning but I forgot Oliver like I walked out to the car and was like where's the dog like I had to go back and like back out to the patio and be like Oliver oh, <laughs> it's Wednesday <laughs> I was like, I can't remember. When I'm my routine Aww. gets mixed up, I do that as well. Like, where's the dog? Yeah. Have I got a dog? Is this the right dog? Mm. So what yeah. Amy's mentioning there is that when we work full time, so if you're going to do like five days a week or even if you're doing more than three days a week of animal assisted therapy stuff, particularly in a school setting somewhere that's like a high workload for the dog, uh, you're going to need more than one dog. So we don't work dogs five days a week. And we try not to work them consecutive days as well. That's a very good way to burn your dog out. Um, they need a lot of rest uh, mentally and physically. So that's why she's talking about like we all get multiple dogs. And then you have to like uh, prepare for them to retire and things like that as well. Or you need to drop down to part time part-time animal assisted stuff. So I've got clinicians that work for me now that they work full-time for me, but their dog works part-time, if that makes sense. Okay. So how have the dogs settled into the school? You're taking both in, hey? Yeah. So we started off, they really did like a slow transition in again, cause it was new for everyone. There was a lot of paperwork side of things that we had to do like risk management and informing all the parents all the children getting consent like it was a really big process to just you can't stop just taking a dog into the school um, and I really had to um, guide and educate and scaffold that for the the school the leaders of the school because they weren't aren't they wish they weren't sure they were really happy to have a dog in the school and therapy dog and they were all keen for it but I really had to guide them through that process of what that looked like practically and ethically um, for everyone um, so Harvey started off one day a week um, in the first term and then we've just built it up from there. Um, so he, there was like a, a set day that he would come in and that worked with my diary and I planned for, to have him there on those on that day um, and all the staff knew that he was going to be there on that day. Um, and then so now we've gradually built up. We're um, coming into term four now um, in the next couple of weeks, but they pretty much come. Uh, they alternate now um, most of the days. So also depends working in a school you're not always sure what your diary is going to look like and sometimes there are days which are um, more appropriate to have the dogs than others so I do make an, a decision based on what my day looks like as to whether I'm going to bring them in yeah. um, so Lola works and Lola only also works in the high school and Harvey works in the primary school mm -hmm. um, and I've done that deliberately based on the dog's temperaments and what I know that they would feel comfortable with um, so Lola is um more like both totally great therapy dogs but can be a little bit more timid um and i know that going into a school of 300 primary school kids would overwhelm her quite a lot especially because the kids you know we walk through the middle of the school and there's just floods of kids around us and they are working on keeping their calm <laughs> um so i don't take lola into that environment um purely just because i know that would be overwhelming but she loves the high school she loves the kids that like um, goes into the big groups of kids, but they're a little bit more settled because yeah. they're a bit older. Um, so she's there um, two days a week um, or sometimes one day a week, depending on what my diary looks like. And then Harvey's just super robust. He just, we can walk into the early years playground and there's like 
you know, a hundred kids that are between the prep to year two and there he's, he's pretty chill. He just is happy and happy walking along, getting pats and um, visiting everyone and doing laps around the playground. So he's a bit bigger than yeah. Lola too. Yeah. His size is a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And I would probably say that Lola's probably more excitable as well. Now, nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, she's also like a year and a bit younger. Yeah. Harvey's, she's, she's Harvey's three now. now. So he's getting on. Well, yeah, she just, just turned, turned three. three. Yeah, because yeah, Nala's nearly yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool that you've had the opportunity to do that. I know lots of people wouldn't be in a situation where they can um, navigate that so well. Like they don't have necessarily mm. – you know both um campuses or whatever it is yeah uh, so yeah. that's flipping awesome and it's really setting both dogs up for success and harvey is um i can just see him in that environment like he just love that like just be so yeah. so happy with that but it's very cool yeah. that you're able to you know see that for lola and make sure that she's having good experiences and she's in that situation where um because the older kids it's so different, even like from yeah. primary school to a high school. The high school kids, they're still noisy and they still crowd, but they've got impulse control and they've got better, mm. you know, better impulse control and better force regulation and things like that. And they're less, like they're not running. Like high schoolers aren't like running around. Like primary school, like kids, I don't know if they can walk, but they just seem to run everywhere so <laughs> yeah it's a manic. real vibe <laughs> so and much more difficult for them to regulate and, and follow directions and things like that as well so if you're working if anyone's working with a dog and they're not like a primary school environment takes a really special specific sort of dog and if your dog's not ready for that and you've got any doubt in your mind don't take them to that to don't take them because um, those situations we actually talked about this in our last podcast but those situations are pretty much impossible to in, to control in terms of controlling the kids so you know once the kids dysregulate and you know get excited and things like that you can ask them and give them directions and things like that but ultimately you can't control that situation it's if it's going to be chaos it's going to be chaos so the only management strategies in that scenario really are to remove the dog, which is not what we want therapy dogs in schools to be about. You know, we don't want it to be that dogs that can't handle situations, um, those situations are being put in there and then having to be removed. And then, you know, their association with the kids is that they're getting in trouble whenever the dog's around. You know, that's not going to be beneficial for human-animal bond. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's part of being a, an experienced but also knowledgeable animal assistant therapist is being able to recognise the environment that suits your dog and making sure that you can facilitate that as best you can. Like I know that Lola would be fine in the primary school. Um, she wouldn't do anything that would make me feel like it was unsafe or anything, but I also know it's not in her best interest at the moment. Mm. Um, she just would be a little bit overwhelmed by that situation. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we want long careers for the dogs, you know, like there's a lot of time and money invested in the dogs um, and we want them to have a long, happy, healthy career in 
into retirement. So she might be in the high school forever or she might be in the high school for a year or two and then um, she might mature. She's only three. She might mature and become more interested in the kids or, you know, more robust in that environment or whatever it is. Or she might not and she might just be a high school dog, you know. She was never really overwhelmed by kids in private practice. She was always pretty down to play. Yeah. And I think part of it's the, it's just the volume of kids. Yeah. Like one-on-one with little people, she's fantastic. And in like a small group environment, she'd be fine. But it's the, it's the transit between places and it's the noisy, busy times yeah. and the, yeah. So it's just about managing that a little bit. Um, That's why we assess our dogs and our dog and handler teams on a case by case basis. And we assess them for the environment that they're going into. So when we assess a dog and handler team, if they've told us they're going into a school, we assess them, the dog for going into a school. Is this dog suitable to go into a school, a primary school, high school, whichever it is. Um, If someone brings me a dog that's going into private practice, I assess the dog as going into private practice. They don't need to be the same level of dog um and just because you know this dog might not be suitable so like if we looked at lola and said oh okay she's probably not suitable for primary school that doesn't mean she's not suitable as a therapy dog she's a great therapy dog in various various situations that we don't need her to be able to be in a you know she doesn't have to be able to be everywhere and if we've assessed a team for private practice, we've stipulated that on their paperwork. So if they then want to change their role, they need to come back and temperament test with us again um, so that we can have another look at the dog and assess them for that situation. And the reason for that is so that we can, you know, acknowledge that each dog and handler team is different and they have a different role. Uh, and we don't want all dogs to have to be at this like standard or, you know, specific skill set to suit the blanket kind of you know what everything that's available for a therapy dog job we don't want that because that's just gonna mean that like heaps of dogs miss out you know like we've got we've got heaps of dogs that work in private practice um that would never that would never cope in a school they would never want they would not enjoy that uh but they don't need to so that doesn't mean they can't be private practice dogs we want to see those dog and handler teams doing their job you know Okay, so what do the dogs do? I keep wriggling around and I'm like kicking my desk and everything. <laughs> um, that's my least favorite question because it's the hardest to answer, it's but so it's the one I get asked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do the dogs actually do? Um, if I gave you some examples of of what we would do on a day to day type of basis, let's go with that. So, um. I was in the year three classroom a couple of weeks ago and that particular class was having a little bit of trouble with regulating um, some of their emotions. They were a little bit... um, Big feelings? Big feelings, big energy, um, just out of, you know, just just living their best lives, just not appropriate for the classroom environment. Uh, So I organised with the teacher that um, the kids had heard about the zones of regulation before. It's something that was already implemented in the primary school, um, but not overly um, used heaps. So we wanted to do a little bit of a refresher. 
similar, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you've got like that blue zone, green zone, yellow zone, red zone. They were, they were using all those zones. Yeah, some schools have a different um, system. And so when I do zones with my kids, they're like, those colours are wrong. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I've seen sometimes that the blue zone doesn't get included and it just goes from like feeling okay to feeling not okay to feeling definitely not okay or out of control. But where they miss that kind of low feeling. Um, which is really important when our energy is low. Yeah. That's still different to being okay. Yeah. Um, but I was able to organise with the the classroom teacher to go in and do like a small session on our zones of regulation, but using um, Harvey in that classroom, which obviously the kids' engagement um, and attention and they, they were loving it. They were so happy to have Harvey in the classroom for a visit um, and their engagement with the content was really good for a bunch of grade threes who was the middle of the day we're getting towards the end of the term they were already a little bit all over the place they were really really able to engage with that so um we started off by um everyone got their wriggles out a little bit because Harvey coming into the class is a pretty exciting moment so we had a bit of time to um have a bit of a pat and a chat generally and then we talked about some of that content and um we looked at how Harvey was feeling when he came into the classroom and what zone he might have been in and what zone that they might have been in um, and then used that kind of um, less structured five, ten minutes that we had at the start to use that as our springboard to getting into our content, which was about regulating our energy. Um, so we, you know, drew up on the board some of those different zones and they all knew a little bit about what it was. And I'd printed out some pictures of Harvey and lots of different zones that I take while we're out and about doing things and then the kids were coming up and potting, putting those pictures on um, the board about what zone they thought Harvey was in at that time um, and then we just had a bit of a whole class discussion about what uh, what makes Harvey go into certain zones and what's he doing and then um, how does that mirror some of the activities that they also do um, and the the answers that we were getting and the, the yeah, it was it was really cool to see. Um, and you can definitely see how doing that with emojis or with little pictures or just talk, talking about that, you would have got some of those kids that start fading off and it's a bit boring now and when is this going to be done? But for that whole 40-minute session, they were really able to, to keep engaged with that and motivated and keep coming up with ideas. Um, and then they started to point out, you know, when you're not engaging with Harvey, straight away he, he kind of realizes reads the room a little bit and he went and kind of sat down while we were just having a bit of a chat and the kids are instantly able to say oh now he's in the blue zone so um being able to point that in real life was really cool as well um and now I've had some of those kids after that um session that we did when they see Harvey and I walking around they come up and they're like oh he's in the green zone so um, actually I had one of the kids the other day um Harvey <laughs> Walking past kids playing handball is always a bit of a mission for Harvey because the ball, he gets really excited about seeing a ball. So and that's always a moment where we have to be like, oh, boy, everything's fine. It's not your ball. Um, but one of the kids pointed out, they were like, Harvey looks like he's in the red zone when he looks at that ball. And I was like, that's exactly right. If we let him go, he would absolutely be in the red zone chasing that ball around. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. Anyone who teaches um, kids and works with kids would know, like, for them to – engage in the content and then process it, comprehend it, retain it, and then recall it later and then re-engage with you unprompted 
with about the content again it's a big deal like it's a huge thing that um they're able to do that we um amy and i love zones of regulation so we do it all the time and we the what she's describing is that if you have if you don't know what it is you can go it's an actual thing i can't remember the lady um that made it but i don't know her name if you google it it'll she'll come up but um the zones of regulation is about teaching kids about sort of arousal level. So the zones like blue zone, sometimes cause kids have been taught colors to feelings and stuff. So sometimes they're like, Oh, the blue zone's sad. But it's actually not sad. It's, it's low and slow. And then the green zones, it's not necessarily happy, but it's your focused listening and learning zone. So it's the active learning kind of zone. Then we've got yellow zone, which is that excited, silly, wriggly. So you're just up out of the green zone, but you haven't completely lost control. So that can also be the zone where you're starting to feel a little bit of frustration or anxiety. Then we've also got the red zone, which is the out of control zone. So that red zone, it can be out of control. You know, kids get out of control, excited, like they pee their pants, you know, like they do that stuff all the time and they get it. Oh, we've actually got a couple at the clinic at the moment in groups. They're, they're red zone for play. And, you know, they are having an absolute blast, these little girls. And everyone else around them is just going insane. <laughs> so like, holy moly. And it ends in tears. You know, like they accidentally hurt themselves or they hurt each other or whatever because they're in the red zone for play. So um, the zones of regulation is a really, really cool thing to teach. And it's just so much easier to teach it with the dogs. So the 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 core of what we're doing when we're doing an animal assisted intervention is we're doing an intervention that already exists. Uh, and because Amy and I are psychologists, we're using evidence-based modalities. So that's a CBT type strategy. Um, and we are, we're doing an intervention that we could do without the dog. So it's an evidence-based intervention that exists outside of having a therapy dog present. And then we add the dog in where appropriate to help us to facilitate that intervention. So what Amy's talking about, so when, when we do this without a dog, you've kind of just got pictures, you've got it, you know, like this, um, there's this thing you can print out and it's got the colors and some feelings, words and stuff like that. You could just print out pictures of whatever you want or yeah, like get emojis or like whatever and get the kids to put them in the correct zones and stuff like that. Um, but we do it with a dog. So we take photos of our dogs living their lives in the different zones. Um, we've got some really funny red zone pictures <laughs> of our dogs playing and they look like they're trying to kill each other. Um, there's like teeth, you know, cause they're wrestling. It's really funny. So um, we've got these pictures and we print them out. And then I would have to say 99% of my kids get this right. Like, and these are kids that are on the spectrum they can put the dog in the correct zones. And even if they don't get it right the first time, um, I just get them to place the pictures and then they talk to me about what, why they've placed what pictures where. Um, and as they, if they don't get it right the first time, as they're talking it through, they'll move them. And it's like they're being able to externalize and, you know, project that out on the dog you know, they visualizing it and the dog, they can't visualize themselves. You know, they can't, they're just not up to that yet. You know, that's a fair bit of insight building. 
Um, and, you know, that's the, we're trying to develop that, you know, that's what we're actually working on is for them to start um, being aware of themselves. So when we do it with the dogs first, they get to have this cool, like it's using a visual aid and it's just more interesting and fun because the dog's in the room, like that dog's right here. So that's this dog. And now we've got photos of this dog. And so they've, like what Amy's talking about, that first five or 10 minutes of playing with a dog and getting the Wrigley's out and things like that. The kids are forming an attachment with the dog at that time too. So they've got now an invested interest in this dog, you know? So now they're doing that. If Amy had just walked in with the dog at heel and put it on a mat and then gone, right, kids, here's some pictures of the dog. You actually get a different outcome to if they get to have that um, play time, like less structured play time and, they get to engage and have, um, what's that word? Those like really natural initiation and reciprocation stuff happening with the dog. That's where they're building that human animal bond there and they're developing that interest. But remember also their cortisol is coming down and they're having positive emotions happening as well. So all that stuff happening sets you up now for this learning space and Amy's actually using the zones by letting the kids get into the if they've gone into the red zone then bringing them back down and we bring them down with the dog so then we'll go okay Harvey we're ready to do our activity so I need you in the green zone please buddy you know like we and we use the dogs to model so we're like okay Harvey it's time for you to be you know over here come on lie down that sort of thing all right kids on bottoms you know we we use modeling with the dog to then bring regulate everybody down so we've had the dog take care of the wrigglies up here the kids are having positive emotions and experiences they transfer that positive uh experience onto amy because she brought the dog here so now we're happy with her so this is great she seems cool all right the dog's settling down time for me to settle down oh okay oh harvey has zones of regulation does he all right, oh, here he is at the beach. Okay, that's supposed to be the yellow zone. All righty. Okay, here's trying to kill another dog. <laughs> it looks like that in the photo. Um, so then all that happens. So then the kids are engaged in the activity. Um, and they've got a visual aid. Um, and they're not having to talk about themselves. So they're not having to talk about, you know, when you kids are naughty, you're in the red zone. You know, like it's not, they're not having to do that. And they'd actually don't like doing that kids don't really like doing that um first up initially anyway <laughs> probably ever but <laughs> probably ever. So we're certainly much more open to it once we've discussed because we've normalized and validated too amy's doing modeling when she goes like oh sometimes harvey gets in the red zone you know she's modeling as well that she's not angry at harvey and harvey's not a bad dog and things like that so it makes it easier for little people and teenagers and adults to know that it, this is a safe space for us to talk about red zone stuff because we just talked about red zone stuff with these dogs and you know nobody's upset everything's cool man like we're just talking about red zone stuff it's all good so when we're doing that as well the way that we handle that and you know, make sure that we're not saying like you know the, the dog is bad or you know stuff like that um because we're modeling that we're gonna how we're gonna handle the kids when we have this conversation too and what it's going to be like for them to be you know the center of that so 
modeling happening. Um, and that's how you're getting your outcomes. But the point being that you're using a evidence-based CBT style intervention that you would have used without the dog. And then you've included the dog in there. So that's why it's hard to explain. Hey. Yeah. And that's a pretty, I guess, simple example. Like it might be easy for people to see like, oh yeah, zones without a dog. Yep. Zones with a dog. Um, and that was a pre-planned intervention that I walked into that classroom knowing yeah, I was going to do. Program. So I was able to have some, yeah, some planning in the back of my head about what, how this might look and what we might be doing. And, and obviously there's things you can't control, all sorts of variables. But for the most part, it went, you know, as planned. I walked out of there having done my goal that I'd agreed with the teacher that that was what we were doing. Um, and then there's all the incidental stuff that happens with dogs and um, which is even trickier to explain but it's I actually find more cool when Same. people talk about it and then you you actually say hey like this happened and because the the therapy dog was there I was able to do this mm. which maybe if the dog wasn't there we we wouldn't have been able to go down yeah. that road like it would have been more structured um so I've I've got one of my my favorite stories of a little person that I work with and it happened a few months ago but I just for me when I think about it, I'm like that's what animal assisted therapy is um, and it was, was working with one of the, the primary school kids. I think she's about eight. Um, and we're working a lot on the social skills, um, stuff and, um, she does kind of things that she's trying to engage with other people and initiate those, um, interactions, but does it in a way that it's, it's not entirely appropriate. So she does things like, um, making full faces at people or sticking her tongue out or, She'll go up to people and glare at them or Should I wave, not be doing pick that? up pens. Is that not a good idea? Wave them. No, that's not appropriate. <laughs> well, I mean, go for gold, but it, for her, it's not having the desired outcomes because people, instead of finding that funny or amusing or, hey, let's have a chat, they're, they're you know, put off by yeah. that experience and then it's it's not what they want. So, um, yeah, and then that has a, you know, a massive flow-on effect for this little girl as, as you would expect it would so we're working a lot on how do we engage um with people in a more pro-social way that leads to desired outcomes of friendship um and we were harvey was in in the room with us at that time and um we were i can't even remember what we're doing we're drawing something or writing something down um and harvey came out of nowhere he got up from where he was sitting next to her and came and sat on top of the piece of paper that we were writing on and she immediately went oh Harvey like you've sat on my piece of paper and she was quite frustrated in that moment by the fact that out of nowhere he'd got up and come into her space and sat down on that piece of paper and we were able to take that experience and use that and reflect to her about we, we chatted like you know well Harvey's all right we can ask him to move but what was he trying to do and initially she said he was trying to be really annoying and I was like was he like was he actually trying to be annoying to you is that why you think he did that and she kind of stopped for a minute and was able to kind of look well maybe he just wanted a pat and I was like I think that's what he wanted I think he came and sat down in front of you because you'd stop patting him when you were when you were next to him and so you turned your attention and he got up wanting a bit more of a pat and we were able to work through that um, he actually, what he wanted was it was, he was being friendly. He wanted to come along and have a pat and get your intention and engagement. Um, but her initial reaction to his actions was 
frustration and annoyance that he'd, he'd interrupted. Um, and through some careful scaffolding, because you do have to be careful with this particular little girl about how you go about things, we were able to kind of bring that back around to that's similar to what she does to her friends, is that she does something with all the positive intentions of I want to be your friend, but she does annoying things yeah. like wave a, wave a pen in their face or get in their personal space or distract them from their work, and then they have that outcome of being frustrated. Um, so, but she's also got a little bit of internalization around that she's a bit naughty and she's mm. um, bad. And, yeah, is and she getting like in trouble? That. For so we're that working stuff with the other kids. Yeah, she does get in trouble because it's not it's not pro social behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she does get in trouble for it. Um, but then she also has a impulse control difficulties mm. where she doesn't she can't control that a lot of the time. Yeah. So she's doing it getting in trouble and then upset with herself because that's what she's done. Yeah. But also then multi-layered doesn't have a lot of understanding about what's an alternative. So mm. there's lots of complexities there. Yeah. Um, but when we were able to look at and and what you were saying before about like normalizing those behaviors and um, those experiences and we're able to say like when Harvey's not in trouble, he's not a naughty dog. He's not doing that hasn't defined him in any way. He's just got a, he's just done something and we can reteach him how to do something differently. Yeah. So we just asked Harvey to sit down next to her again and he was able to get some pats and she carried on drawing. Um, but that, that like five minutes was just, for me, it stuck in my head as like a really poignant moment of what animal assisted yeah. psychology is and about how that really, that the behavior offered by Harvey in that moment, which I couldn't have predicted or scheduled or, provided an intervention for it just happened and landed in in our lap yeah. and I was able to use that towards our goals which was really really good um and I actually think it's one of the sessions that she's engaged the most with and that conversation was a really that five minute conversation mm. felt really meaningful to yeah. her like she got it um whereas all the other stuff that we'd been doing she'd semi got and then forgotten about it where mm. that one seemed to I felt like she was really meaningfully engaged in that. Um, it's amazing how often something like that happens in the room as well. Like, you, you mm. know, something will just happen that just is so flippin' useful. But I actually think a really big part of that is because you've had so much experience and handler training that we have got a filter over our eyes all the time that we're ready to whatever the dog does do, we're ready to go, okay, is this useful for me or is it not? And I think when people are first starting working with the dogs, they get so overwhelmed with the whole situation that they're not ready um, and that's why they're finding that so hard. But to those people, I would say this comes with time. It comes with time, um, but also the dog's got to be right. So I think sometimes people are taking dogs – in that aren't quite ready or they haven't had any training or they haven't had handler training or even they have and they've passed. But one thing that we can't always prepare you for is coping with the stress of being a handler, a dog therapy dog handler, having the dog there, but coping with the stress of your job as well, because we don't really have anything to do with that. So that's kind of the handler dog and handler teams need to um, assess for themselves are they ready? 
to be in their workplace doing their job and handling a dog at the same time. Because as soon as you become a bit overwhelmed and stressy, you, you'll actually see that coming out in your dog's behaviors. And the dogs will either disengage from you and sort of shut down a bit because they're like, I don't know what, what's going on over there, you know, but I'm just, whatever, I'll stay out of it. You seem frazzled, so I'll just leave you be. Or the dogs will become dysregulated themselves as well and they'll start to offer less predictable behaving kind of like what's the dog doing that for so just keep an eye out for that so if you're seeing your dog sort of fairly even just avoidant sort of disengage or shut downish, or if you're seeing them dysregulate and stuff like that have a look at yourself as the handler and see if there's something else going on for you and are you actually ready for this environment because i think that when people contact us and say I don't know what I'm doing. Like, uh, you know, we do intervention training in the course and we repeat ourselves, you know, millions of times over that you're just going to do your job like you would normally do your job. And then where possible, you're going to start including the dog. I think people get overwhelmed with that. And it's, there's a lot to remember and there's a lot on, and then they don't have the opportunity. Cause I mean, we're using quite a lot of creativity when we're um, looking at for those things happening as well. And, being aware of our clients' goals and, you know, this evidence-based modality that we're going to be using and then the dogs offered, you know, whatever. It takes, it does take a fair bit of practice guys to get, to get pretty good at that. So, you know, don't, don't be too hard on yourselves, but also do be aware that, um, you know, go at your pace with it too. Like Amy's had a lot of experience working with the dogs, but that would definitely be something that I hear people coming back and saying is that they just go like, I just, I'm not finding those moments or the dog is distracting them. Like the dogs, they're trying to use everything the dog does. So like, you know, we've had dogs before that have been just being silly. Um, and, but that's, and that sometimes that might be useful because like, Oh my goodness, they're in the red zone or whatever, but sometimes it's not useful. And so then you just need to manage the dog because it's going to detract. It's going to distract the handler. Um, but it's going to also detract from the young person or whoever the client is participant is reaching their goals as well how do you feel do you feel like it happens you know are you is it often and it's hard to think of examples it's so hard to think of yeah it's because it happens day to day and and a lot of the time like it took that moment like i was like oh that's stuck in my head where it's stuff that just happens and then and it's really interesting because sometimes my um my colleague will say um or um other staff members will come and they'll have seen me do an interaction with a child with the dog and bring Harvey into that moment and they'll be like wow that was really cool yeah. where I haven't registered that as like a pretty cool thing I'm like that's just day to day but other people look are like whoa mm-hmm. you just weaved these two situations together to create this brand new thing like yeah. moment it's really cool um there are definitely still times even with all with you know a, a fair bit of experience that I, I still miss moments and I realize afterwards that I'm like, oh, I could have really used that. Mm. Um, you know, I, like I, I, Harvey offered that or Lola offered that and I, I didn't, I wasn't there and I didn't register that, but I could have used that. Um, but I think also that reflection is helpful because the next time it comes up, I'll sure catch it like yeah. <laughs> and use it where we can. And that's like, um, sometimes that will happen just with any, anything as well. Like, you know, but I think it's better to have missed an opportunity like that than what it then to have 
tried to cling on to everything the dog's doing and have missed your actual evidence-based modality <laughs> and your actual goal yeah because you're stuffing yeah. around wondering why the dog oh what's the dog doing now that kind of stuff and people are just confused and like I don't know ripping up paper like you know sleeping um it's it's far better and a safer option to not worry about involving the dog and what they're doing in a, that sort of um metaphor kind of way they can still, you know, still be there and getting pats and stuff. It's much better to to ignore bringing the dog into the intervention in that way than it is to ignore the intervention. You can't be doing that. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Super important. Especially like, um, you know, being at the school, like obviously you've got a huge responsibility there with those kids, but especially also in the private practice environment, um, and the, the profession that we're in as well is very regulated. Um, people are paying for a service uh, and it's not to sit around and pat dogs, you know. So we've got to keep that in mind as well, that people are, are paying for a service. But also when you're a psycho, like some different, some professions are different, but when you're a psychologist, you're also got all these um, rules and things like that for a reason, Um but yeah, it's, that's why I keep coming back and saying, so if I sound like I'm sort of repeating that, that's because it's actually really important. So um, working with the dogs versus like the days that you don't have the dogs there, what do you, do you notice things? Is there times when the dogs are there and it's actually a pain in the bum or? Yeah, sometimes. And it's more, it's more so like there are certainly um, students at the school who um, are fearful of dogs or who don't mm. like dogs or who have allergies to dogs. Um, so I do have to um, plan my days around if I've got one of those students coming in, I don't bring a dog yeah. that day um, purely because I actually don't have anywhere else to put them. Yeah. So it's not like I have a spare clinic room next door that I can pop, you know, Harvey or Lola in for half an hour. Um, so it, it does mean that I have to negotiate my day like that. Um, and some days there'll be, I'll have, um, you know, I might have a lot of parent meetings or a lot of staff meetings, or we've got this event or that event, and I might only see one or two kids. And sometimes I don't bring my, I don't bring Harvey or Lola in on those days either, because I don't think it's fair to them to bring them to work, to engage with people for, you know, an hour and a half and the rest of the time I'm running around campus and meetings where it's not appropriate to take them and then they're sitting in my office. Yeah. So um, I do also make sure that I'm planning. I do a lot of planning around when I'm bringing the dog and when I'm not and when it's good for them to come and when it's not helpful or whatever. Um, sometimes they can be a little bit of, um, it's just it's just an extra layer of complexities when in schools things evolve very quickly. So I can look at my diary, which is very different from private practice where I'm used to looking at a diary that's booked up two months in advance and I know who's coming in in four weeks time whereas schools are very much like you might flick forward to the following week and it's you know looking okay and the next week will be totally empty but then each day that goes by it's just like things all of a sudden out of nowhere pop up like things evolve very quickly um so and sometimes you do have to just drop what you're doing and go and sort this you know, be present for that acute crisis that's happening. And so then you're like, well, am I taking the dog? Am I not? Where are they getting put? How long am I going to be gone yeah. for? Um, so there are complexities around that where 
um, you know, for the most part, they, I'm very lucky. They're very well trained. They can just sit in my office and th if, if they needed to, they would be happy sitting in the air conditioning for four hours if I need them to. It's not ideal, but they can do it and they're not doing to disturb anyone else. Do you else. have a crate in there? Um, How do you handle I that? I don't know. Um, my Harvey just sits in, well, my office when I need him to and because he just chills out. Um, mostly I get in trouble from all the staff who are like, you've left Harvey in there for so long. He looks so sad because he's like a gap underneath the window where <laughs> it's frosted and then there's a gap and he sits there and looks out and all the colleagues are like, what are you doing leaving Harvey in there? I'm like, I was doing other things and I get in trouble because I've left him. <laughs> I get really get made to feel real guilty about how sad he looks because he puts on these sad puppy eyes. Um, Lola's a bit of, look, Lola has a history of chewing things she's not supposed to. Um, <laughs> she hasn't yet touched wood, destroyed anything, um, but I'm also extra careful about how long I'm leaving her alone for. She chews um, things like it's an Olympic sport and she wants to yeah. represent Australia. Like she... Yeah. Is, she takes it very seriously and like yeah. creates opportunities for herself. Yeah. The pro the problem is it's not it's not obvious things. Like it's not stuff that you leave out that you're like, oh, I left that out. It's gonna get chewed. It's the things that you don't notice. Um, like the light switch panels is the biggest one Jeez, that she'll go bag. for. Um, <laughs> like pulls off the power plug cases and eats them and like you don't notice that it's gone until you go to plug something in and you're like oh my god there's no case on this anymore because well we're eight last again. thursday oh, out of control she's been pretty good recently actually i'm hoping as she gets older it becomes less of an issue um touch wood she hasn't eaten anything in the office yet thank goodness, goodness. um but i do have to be careful <laughs> So um, how do you handle that with the kids? Like uh, do they have an expectation that they're going to see the dog and how do you handle that when the dog's not there? Yeah, to be honest, I've tried not to set that expectation. Yep. So even though there are days that are more like Harvey days or Lola days, um, I'm very upfront with the kids that I see all the time about sometimes they won't be here and that's to get me out a little bit of hot water for when they're not there um, and you don't have to deal with that disappointment feeling. So I've really set that up to be, it's almost like a bit of a bonus if Harvey or Lola is there as yeah, opposed okay. to it being a disappointment when they're not there um, just because of the way, the nature of schools, that it has to be like that. So you've done a bit of positioning um, and, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and preparing the kids for that. So that's great. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. um, transitioning, like, sort of items and things like that like do you still use photos of the dogs or things like that yeah I still use photos of the dogs um not all the time but definitely I still have quite a like a stack of them and I will give them out when I need to um it's sometimes can be tricky because it sometimes causes a little bit of a <laughs> an issue with other kids when they don't get one yeah. um like if they're children that I don't have any reason to need to see and then yeah. they see their friend walking around with a photo of Harvey um, or Lola. But, um, no, I do still have them. You know um, what you should do is instead of buying the postcards, get business cards because you get 250 yeah, make for them like a bit, $10. Amy and I use them a little bit smaller. Yeah, and then mm -hmm. they're smaller and then you can just have them like, yeah, and – give them out to anyone yeah yeah yeah. Have those yeah it would be nice ones. I mean I use Vistaprint for um printing out 
we print out like um, photos of the dogs, but like with some, you can put, when you use the postcards, you can put information about them on the back. So we put like Harvey enjoys swimming, you know, stuff like that. They're really cool to use as little introduction, getting to know you sort of things. We use them for, for a bit of stuff, but um, they're a bit more expensive. So 50, you get 50 postcards cards for I don't even remember how much they are but um mm. it might be like it might even be like $25 or something I think it is yeah um but you can buy business cards in stacks of 20 250 for like 10 bucks from Vista Print and you could just put as your business you just put a photo of the dog on the front you know what I mean and you could probably write mm. stuff on the back yeah of those too just so that they're more being in a school environment like you don't want to be handing out hundreds of those postcards yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good idea. What was I going to say? So what about, so the staff you mentioned, so like uh, what's what what are the dog interactions with the staff like at the school? Um, well, I did a lot of um, positioning with the staff around. I, t- I really wanted them to know <clears> – <throat> sorry, what animal-assisted therapy or animal-assisted psychology was they, before I just brought... I just remembered that they had another dog. They do. So they have a college dog at the school, um, Bonnie, and she is um, she's with the chaplain um, and has more of a mascot feel about her. Um, so her role is more of a symbol of pats and things like that Um, whereas I really wanted to differentiate that the role that the therapy dogs had working alongside me was very different to that of um, a college dog Um, and they both you know we talked I um, spoke about how they both had their sorry they both had their benefits and and things but just very different roles Um, so I sent out you know a big email when I first started bringing Harvey into all of the staff um, which included like the grounds people and the admin staff, like anyone who we were going to run into who might be like, why is there a dog here? Um, to help explain to them about who Harvey was. And then I said the follow-up email about Lola later on, but, um, you know, who who the dogs were, what their role is with me. And I wrote some of the, um, I guess, I anticipated what some of the frequently asked questions might be and answered some of those in there. Um, and then I, for people who are actually more interested in learning about it, um, I included like a couple of articles about animal assisted therapy in that email that people could then go and do their own research if they wanted to know more information about it. Um, so I did I did all of that to start with. I invited staff to let me know if they had fears or allergies to dogs or there was a reason that they were, you know, a bit worried or uncomfortable so that we could um, – make it work basically because I was very aware that I was a new at the time a new staff member coming into the school in a pre-existing environment and I was doing this new thing that we're bringing in a therapy dog and I wanted to make sure I got off on the right foot and that people were accepting but also knowing that I was willing you know I'm not going rogue I'm I'm willing to work with them about how everyone can feel comfortable in the workplace um so I did a lot of that at the start and I got lots of positive feedback from that um but the staff now are always asking if it's a Harvey day or if it's a Lola day. Um, I, up in the high school, Lola is a, um, the staff room that we have is a bit more open plan and then it's just my office. So Lola often finds herself in um, sitting under the heads of house, 
desks or giving them a hello. Um, there's also, you know, that gap under the door. So when people come up, she waits by the door as they come in for the morning and she gets lots of pats. Um, I get a lot of comments such as like, oh, I think I need to come in and have a session with you and Lola. She's just so calming. Like a lot of the staff, something will happen and I just get all these comments all the time about, oh, she's so lovely and, um, you know, lots of pats and things. That, and people joke, they joke about like how she calms them down, but it, like unbeknownst to them, it's genuinely happening for them in their cortisol levels. But I get a lot of comments like that. And the same with Harvey in the primary school. Um, I've got our our administration lady at the front desk um, has treats in her drawer that she gives to Harvey. Um, and so when Harvey comes in in the morning, he knows if she's there, he runs exactly and sits so and looks up at the drawer that they're in. And she's like, hello, my little darling. And then gives him a little treat. She's hilarious. Um, so and that's like a little routine that they've got into with the two of them where he comes and she's got her little liver treats in her admin desk and gives, her, gives him so one of those. So what happens when you walk in there without him? People ask me, usually it's a good morning and then it's a where's Harvey yeah. or is today not a Harvey day? Yeah. It's one of the first questions I'll get um, is about the dog. And that admin <laughs> lady, like, would she say something if he's not there? Yes, yeah, most people would. Not everyone, like, not, you know, because they're used to him not being there sometimes. Yeah. But um, definitely, I definitely get asked yeah. about where he is so or is, oh, is today not his day, like, yeah, um, yeah. Significant. He yeah. has a significant enough impact on the staff when he is there that they notice it and feel it and comment on it when he's not there. Absolutely, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, yep. That's pretty consistent with what we hear across the board, and it's pretty special. Lots of play. Yeah. Lots of teams come back and tell us that like the impact on the staff has been huge. Like, yeah, impact on the kids is great. The impact on the school, it's it, as a whole, is great but the impact on the staff is really big. One of the things that yeah. um, like, it's awesome and it's exciting and it's, you're doing a great job and all those things, but I always do come back to you. So this is why, you know, we put so much work into these dogs so that when you do get them in the school, that we recognize and understand that people are forming relationships with them. Like that lady that's giving him a treat every morning. She has a relationship with that dog. And I'm just thinking about, you know, teams that we've got that they're already in workplaces or already in schools and they either have had to remove the dog because they've bitten someone or they're barking at people or things like that are happening. Um, or we fail them. They do the course and then we fail them because we've assessed that the temperament's not right for the job. And then people are having to remove them from those communities. So whether it's a school community or, you know, any workplace um, where you've got staff and people interacting with the dogs and stuff like that, it's a loss. It is a loss. You know, like imagine how your schools would react, Amy, if for some reason, you know, the dogs could never come in again or they had to have six months off for retraining or they had to whatever. Do you think that would have a significant impact on your school communities? Absolutely. I think it definitely would. Um, I don't really like to imagine not um, there being a time when I could, where I had to go in and they couldn't be there. Um, Cause I think that would be a lot of, a lot of people would be worried or sad yeah. or 
confused by the situation and what has happened. Um, but ultimately, I think it would have an impact on on everyone, um, given that they have made an impact since they've been there. Yeah. Um, and people do build relationships with the dogs, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I like love hearing about it. And I just know that, because um, I know the dogs as well. But I just know that, that that's so special. Like for that, you know, just I'm just picking on that one example. But if, you, if you've got treats in your drawer and, you know, you're so happy to see him every day and then he's, you know, if the days he's not there, you're like, oh, where is he today? You know, but he's coming back, you know. Yeah. And I've got um, dogs registered for courses at the moment that, you know, that are in these places still, they're still happening, um, when they shouldn't be, you know, yet, just in case it's not right. Like, we don't know yet because we don't know the teams, but, you know, it makes me happy the great benefit and the, the way that people build the relationships with the dogs. That's what it's all about, you know, is just exactly stories like that. Like, it's so awesome, all the stuff, all the stuff you're doing. Like, it's so cool. I just want to make sure that we're not, rupturing those relationships and things by then having dogs you know fail their assessments and stuff like that mm. yeah yeah and it, it it i get a bit of a bit in my bonnet as well after being in the industry for such a long time and seeing it grow and it's fantastic but it it upsets and frustrates me when you see people that are unintentionally maybe doing things that aren't the best way or to go about things yeah. um or intentionally in some cases they don't understand it and so it's not important to them um because it really has a chance to ruin it for a lot of people it really like does. it might it damages you know that when things that can go wrong do go wrong um it's a lot of people they get impacted but also you know the people that are doing the right thing there's the all of the teams that are out there doing well for the industry and representing in a really professional positive light it ruins <laughs> creates a bad image for us for everyone the amount of effort that I put into introducing the dogs correctly yeah. into that school environment and the effort that I've gone to to continue having that professional approach. Um, you don't want to be painted with the same brush as, as anyone doing maybe something not quite right or unethical or, yeah. So That's it. That's why we want to talk about it and, you know, keep talking about it and sharing information and things like that because we do want to see people doing the industry proud and, you know, We've invested, geez, you and I by now, like tens of, of thousands of dollars in this, these dogs yes. that we've got, you know, cheap. like you've got golden retrievers. They're not cheap <laughs> these days. Yeah. My dogs are, you know, not, they weren't too pricey, but um, I've invested so much time and money into them, like, you know, huge amounts. They've got the best of everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, they, they work everything. so they get paid, you know, like they're on the best diets, yeah. they get, you know, they're all the best everything. Yeah, like absolutely they, they want for nothing and they, yeah. So, you know, when you think about, so Sonny being he's 11 and a half, you know, he and he's still, he's only semi-retired, he's still working from home. Like he's had such an amazing career. I've got photos of him. He doesn't go into the clinic anymore because it's a bit of a long drive for him now. But um, when I work from home, I go to home clinic. So when I work from home, he sees clients here. And um, I've got photos of him up at my psychology practice down in Redcliffe. And um, 
my kids always ask about him like how's sunny how's sunny going how's sunny how's sunny i'm like he's great he's going so good you know he's like you know semi-retired life you know da, da, da. but it that's a dog like he hasn't been i don't know how long he's probably been probably been i took him in once actually not that long ago for some reason um but apart from that he hasn't been there for like two years like he's i would say it's at least two yeah, years Nala's three. More. so i think i yeah. paired them up until she was 12 months and then i think yeah that's when he took over she took over his clients mm. um so you know like and that's that's those kids that know him from well way so back what, seven years seven and a half years or something the practice has been open so you know since he was four <laughs> you know kids have known him and so to have you know, that's a dog that's been um exited in a really soft way too like they knew so they the kids knew because nala was teamed up with Sonny. Um, so he trained her on the job. Um, and so they all knew, and he was eight at the time and they all knew I was progression planning so that when he was nine, he could semi retire, you know, um, I didn't want to wait until he was 10 just in case he, I don't know how he was going to age. Um, but he's great. Like he's doing really well. So he, but you just never know. He's like he's a Labrador, so you don't really know. And I was like, I just, I really didn't want him to have like a cognitive decline. You know, you hear dogs getting dementia and stuff; they get confused and that. I just didn't want to wait until that was happening to to um move him, cut him back. You know, um, but he's gone pretty good. So even though like that was a, that took twelve months of the kids, you know, seeing him you know, he's training up Nala and, you know, all this sort of stuff. He was exited in a really nice way and the photos are on the wall and he's still at home and, you know, he's still, you know, clients still seeing stuff like that. But even that, like, it's still been so meaningful, like that, that people still ask about him all the time. Um, I can only imagine how you'd be handling those conversations if, let's say, for example, I left it until he was 10 before I bought his replacement so therefore was working him until he was 11, at which point he would have been very, t- he's 11 and a half now, but he would have been tired, grumpy. I don't know if he would have had cognitive decline. Let's pretend that he had, you know, some dementia and bit someone or, you know, started growling at kids or, you know, something like that. And I had to remove him for uh, that reason. Like, I just don't even, I would hate to have to have that conversation every time someone asked about Sonny and be like, Oh, he bit someone. So now he can't be a therapy dog anymore. You know, like I, don't, I just, that I just don't even know how I would handle that. And I think it would be such a shame to his career and his legacy and things like that. If I had let it get to that point, which is why I bought mm. Nala when he was eight, who's also a Labrador. So um, the point I'm sort of making there is like these relationships that people have with the dogs they are meaningful um, and they they will ask about the dogs and, and things like that. So I guess it's just helping people, you, you know, if you're new to the industry, if you're listening to this and you're sort of just like getting a feel for it or you're thinking about getting into it or something like that, I guess that message is always just about understanding, get some training um, and do some reading, like keep listening to the podcast and things like that because it is a thing. It is really a thing. And people build relationships with the animals. And our job as the handler is to facilitate that relationship so that it's healthy. 
um, which means preventing it from getting into a space where it becomes unhealthy, either for the humans or the dogs that are involved. And I guess really the only way to do that is to be well-informed um, and, you know, having discussions with other industry professionals and things like that and really, really advocating for our dogs and making sure like Amy's done, you know, like Lola is better suited for the high school. So put her in the high school, you know, making great decisions like that for your dogs or, you know, I'm only going to be doing whatever today with at the school. So I'm not bringing the dog. So, you know, they're having another day off. Like those kinds of decisions are really, really great decisions. And they're decisions that you can't make if you're not informed uh, and you're not aware of advocating for your dog and you're not aware of, you know, the relationships that they have with the kids, staff, school community, things like that. I just think that's very important. Hmm. Absolutely. All right, Miss Amy. Thanks for chatting with me. <laughs> Thank you. It's good chat. Thanks for the catch-ups, mate. It's good to, yeah, good to talk about this stuff, isn't it? It's fantastic <laughs> to talk about this stuff. Um, I know mm. I got a little bit sidetracked, but that's okay. We've got a, um, you know, lots of more conversations that we can have, uh, but mm -hmm. also really loved hearing about what you're doing at the school, bud. Yeah. They're very lucky thanks. to have you. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Will you come back and talk to yeah. me about it's stuff good. again? Yes, Great. definitely. We can, we can pick some other things and have a chat. It sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Amy, and we will talk to you again. Excellent. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.